Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is open up to Revelation, the 20th chapter, right near the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to read some verses there momentarily that's going to set up the things that we're going to talk about, but we'll be in a number of other passages this morning. So let's be looking along in the Bible, be studying together for these next few minutes, give our reverent attention to what God has left for us in His book. As you're turning to Revelation chapter 20, let me echo the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody this morning. So glad that you are here. We do have guests with us. We're thankful for your presence and we hope and trust that you're finding everything that we're doing today to be decently and in order and in keeping with the teaching of the New Testament. That's what we're striving for here at Lakeside and we hope that you're finding that here today. Just appreciate so much the fact that you've chose to be with us. Hope that you have plans to be back tonight as we will at that time conclude our journey through the book of Romans. We will be studying in Romans the 16th chapter. In many ways a chapter that probably is maybe the most unique and kind of does kind of sit a little bit differently than the first 15 chapters. You might even kind of apprise yourself of a little, of a, little bit of a head start by reading in Romans 16 this afternoon and being prepared for that tonight. We'll study about that at 6 o'clock. But right now it's Revelation chapter 20. And if ever there was a subject that I would want to preach on for my final Sunday morning, this is it. In Revelation chapter 20, John says this. In Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11, John says, Then I saw, I saw a great white throne and Him who was seated on it. And from His presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead who were of them according, excuse me, dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. When you were younger, did you ever ask your mom and dad for permission to to go somewhere, maybe to go out with some friends or to go to some kind of a gathering. And in an effort to kind of maybe strengthen that request, maybe to get some sympathy on yourself or maybe even to do a little bit of arm twisting, you resorted to saying, but mom, everybody's going to be there. Did you ever say that? Did you ever pull out the everybody's going card? And if I don't go, I'll be the only one who's left out because everybody's going to be there. Young people, let me let you in on a little bit of a secret before you try pulling that on your mom and your dad. Your parents know that that's not true. Everybody's not going to be there. There's always going to be kids who are left out for one reason or another. Maybe there's kids who didn't get invited. Maybe there's kids who got sick and they couldn't go. Maybe there's kids who thought of something better that they could do, so they went and did that instead. Maybe there's parents who didn't let their kids go to that. Or some other reason, there's always something that's going to keep everybody from going. In fact, it really doesn't even matter what event or activity you might be talking about. There has never been in all of human history a single event where Everybody has been there. But there will be. There will be such an event. There is an event that has yet to take place where literally 
Everybody is going to be there. It is the event described for us right here in Revelation, the 20th chapter, where everyone who has ever lived, everyone who has ever breathed, everyone who has ever walked on the earth will be assembled before the great white throne. It is the judgment day. And it is indeed the event that all will attend. All the people in this auditorium will be there. All the people that you have ever known throughout your life, they're going to be there. Your great, 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 great grandfather that you never even met before, he's going to be there. All the people that you maybe have looked up to, maybe in person that you knew personally, or maybe people that you looked up to from afar, movie stars or celebrities or athletes, and oh, you admired them so much, they're going to be there. All the people who maybe died in house fires or who died at sea and their bodies were never recovered, that's not going to be a problem because they're going to be there. Your best friend, going to be there. Your worst enemy, they'll be there too. Your parents will be there. Your siblings will be there. Your children will be there. Your co-workers will be there. And most importantly of all, you will be there. And furthermore, there'll be no excuse for anyone not to attend this event. Lots of times with certain events, people look for every kind of way out from keeping from having to go to those things. Not with this one. No one is going to be able to say, oh, I had a lot of homework I had to get done, so I just couldn't quite make it. Oh, I had a doctor's appointment scheduled and i, I got to go to that and I can't be there. No one's going to be able to say, oh, my lawn, it really needed a good mowing and man, I needed to get to doing that. Pfft, absolutely not. Everybody has a divine appointment with the judge of all the earth and there will be no exceptions. Which does make me wonder, what's that going to be like? What will that be like. You know, when I know that I have to go somewhere, when I have some kind of an appointment, I want to get ready for that thing. I want to know as much about that thing as I possibly can so that I can get prepared, I can get myself ready, I can kind of, you know, have in my mind what that's going to be like, maybe even kind of survey the land a little bit. I want to know what's going to happen so that I'm not caught flat-footed. Well, what about Judgment Day? That's one of those things that you are going to be there for. So what's that going to be like? Well, good news. The Bible doesn't leave us in the dark about that. The Bible actually gives us, in God's Word, gives us some things that helps us to prepare for that. Gives us some glimpses of what that's going to be like. And this morning, my task is to show you those things. To show you some of the things that we will all experience on that great and final day. And specifically, I'm going to highlight for you three things that each and every one of us will behold with our eyes and with our ears and with our minds because the Bible is going to explain to us what we will all see, what we will all understand, and what we will all hear when we meet the Lord in judgment. Are you ready for that? Let's just begin that by talking a little bit about what it is that we're going to see. And let me just say right up front... All this discussion that we might be willing to have over, all right, well, will we have physical eyes and how's that? I, I don't know about all of that. When I talk about see here, I'm just talking about some things we're going to be able to observe. Number one, on the day of judgment, what will we see? We will see the Word of God being fulfilled. We will see all of God's promises and all of God's Word coming to fruition. 
Now, of course, there's lots of people on Judgment Day that are not going to be prepared for that. They're not going to be ready for the moment when they stand before the Lord. But I'll tell you this, that's not the Bible's fault. It's not because the Bible didn't give them clear and loud warnings. Can we stitch together some of those passages? Start with me in the Old Testament. Look with me in the Psalms, please. In Psalm 96, it is important for us to see that even all the way back in the Old Testament, there were allusions to a day of final judgment. Like, for example, in Psalm 96, where the psalmist has been talking throughout this psalm about bowing down and offering worship. He says to worship before the Lord, Psalm 96 verse 13, for He comes, for He comes to judge the earth, and He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Now that's not the only place in the Old Testament where that kind of thing is found. Do you remember all the way back in the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis? You remember the story of Noah and the ark? Do you remember in Genesis chapter 9 when Noah and his family, they get out of the ark and God then makes that covenant with them? Do you remember God saying, I'm never again going to destroy the world by flood? Which is kind of an ominous way of saying that He will destroy the world by another means someday. And that idea, of course, really begins to gain some steam when you get into the New Testament. I'm looking now in Romans, please. In Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, as Paul is addressing here in this chapter especially, some of the self-righteous brethren, some of the Jews that existed in that congregation, he says to them in Romans chapter 2 and in verse 5, he says, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Paul gives us another helping of that in 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians and in the first chapter, Paul says this. Here's a very vivid description of judgment. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and in verse 7, he says, "...to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire..." inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Want to see that again? Look in Hebrews with me. In Hebrews chapter 9, in this statement that we often... We we pull it out of its context and don't think about what it says in its context, but I'll just tell you, even just on its face, this one verse, this short and simple statement, it carries such a punch. In Hebrews 9 and in verse 27, the writer says there, "...and just as it is appointed for man to die once..." After that comes the judgment. Now of course it should come as no surprise to us that maybe the person in the Bible who talks the very most about judgment, about the things pertaining to the end, is Jesus Himself. The King, the one who will serve as the judge on that day. I'm thinking for example in Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, as Jesus is beginning to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount, listen to what He says there about judgment. In Matthew 7 and in verse 21, Jesus says, Not everybody who says to Me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of My Father who is in heaven, on that day, 
Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In fact, if that wasn't vivid enough, can you jump to chapter 25 of Matthew? In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gets even more explicit. Gives some very vivid pictures of that great and final day. In Matthew 25, Jesus depicts here a great separation. A final separation that will take place. That begins in verse 31. Matthew 25 verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And before Him will be gathered all the nations. And He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Now if you're familiar with this passage, you know that Jesus goes on to describe some of the things that makes the sheep the sheep. And some of the things that makes the goats the goat. What what is it that makes a person righteous? What is it that makes a person unrighteous? But that all culminates in verses 45 and 46 when Jesus says, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these, that is the unrighteous, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, that's just a sampling of what God has said about this. And we can just keep all morning long. We can just keep stacking up verse upon verse upon verse. But here's the point. When judgment day comes, all this stuff that we're reading, boom! It's going to happen. All this stuff that right now we're having to use our imagination about, all this stuff, it's going to take place. These are not just a bunch of generic platitudes given by God, spoken by Jesus, spoken by the apostles. These aren't just a bunch of empty promises to kind of fill the Bible up. No, this is the very Word of God. We won't have, on that day, we won't have to keep imagining these scenes through the eye of faith. No, on that day, faith will become sight. We will see it. We will see the sky rip apart. And Jesus descend. And angels come pouring forth grand and glorious. We will see the gathering together of all nations. Righteous, unrighteous, living and dead. Everybody assembled together. We will see as well that separation of the sinners and the saints. The goats and the sheep. The unrighteous and the righteous. We will see the righteous be summoned home to go and live with God forever. And we as well will see the unrighteous banished to hell, away from the presence of God for all of eternity. What are we going to see on that day? We're going to see God's Word fulfilled right before our eyes. But not only are we going to see some things, we also on that day are going to come to understand some things, or maybe just better understand some things. In particular, what we will come to better understand is we will come to understand what matters the very most in this life. Judgment Day is just going to clear a lot of things up. It's going to make crystal clear what was really, really important in life. I don't know if you've noticed, but I certainly have noticed, that Hollywood seems to have just a real fascination 
with making movies and TV shows about the end of the world. Have you noticed that? That's been the case for several decades, but it seems like especially during the last couple of decades, there's just been a proliferation of those kinds of end-time sorts of movies. Whether it's the end of the world being caused by an alien invasion, or a natural disaster, or a nuclear holocaust, or a zombie, zombie apocalypse, or a deadly pandemic virus, or a stray meteor, or a Mayan calendar prediction. Hollywood is just obsessed with cranking out these movies about the end times. And of course the reason they keep doing that, and they're going to keep doing that, is because, well, generally it seems like we like those movies. We watch those movies. We gobble that stuff up. We are willing to pay eight, nine, ten dollars to go to the theater and to sit for 90 minutes and be shaken and be frightened by the thought of the world coming to an end in one of these grandiose and fantastical ways. But the truth of the matter is, when you watch those movies, none of those movies really affect us, at least in the long term, do they? You know, sure they entertain us for a couple of hours. And yeah, they might even shake us up a little bit for a couple minutes. We come walking out of the theater and it's, Whoa, that got me shook up. And maybe we even have some lingering thoughts about that for a couple of hours or maybe through the remainder of the day. But, but none of us are really bothered by that in any kind of life-changing, profound way, are we? Nobody goes home after watching one of those movies and starts, Wow, oh, man, I start, start digging a bomb shelter here. We need to get a bunch of canned goods and stock up here. Mabel, get a shotgun. The zombies are coming. None of us are doing that. We realize we watch that. That's just a movie. It doesn't really change how we live. And unfortunately, I'm afraid that that's what happens sometimes when we read the Bible. And the Bible makes its predictions about the end of the world. Do you know the passage that I'm thinking of? It's in 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter speaks about this world coming to its ultimate demise. And he talks about the point of all this is what should Christians be doing in light of that reality. And so Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, I'm reading here beginning in verse 7, he says, But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist, they are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Verse 8, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, it will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Peter says, that day, if all those verses we looked at earlier weren't enough, let me say it one more time, that day it is coming. And so, in light of that, verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. When something this massive, something that is so all-encompassing, 
Something that is so significant that it affects every single person on the planet, both living and dead. When something like that occurs, then surely everything that you do, everything that your life is about, it's all going to be lived in light of that event, isn't it? Isn't everything going to be ordered around that one thing? Doesn't all of our decisions and all of our choices need to then rotate around that central event? Because because nothing else really matters, does it? If that's where we're all headed toward, then yeah, nothing else is really that important. And yet the truth is, sometimes we allow Peter's words here to have just about as much impact on our lives as that latest scary blockbuster that we went to the movie theater and watched. Yeah, we read these verses here at church, and maybe we're bothered by them, maybe we're kind of unsettled and discomforted by them for a couple of minutes while we sit here in this assembly. In fact, maybe we even take the thoughts of the lesson home with us this afternoon, and man, I'm kind of shaken for a couple of hours, but then Monday morning rolls around, and what do we do? It's just kind of back to the same old, same old. We're not changed by what we read. We're not changed by what we heard. We just kind of continue on with life as normal. And i got to tell you, that worries me. That concerns me that we're not changed by the reality of what Peter speaks of here in such a powerful way. And it can be seen. It can, it can be seen in the lives even of Christians. Now somebody's going to say, well, yeah, of course people out in the world, well, yeah, it's pretty obvious They're not thinking one bit about Judgment Day. Look at the sin they're involved in. But I'm suggesting to you this morning that this kind of thing can be seen even in the lives of Christians. Christians who pursue after temporal things and treat them as if they are eternal things. And listen, I'm not talking about sinful stuff. I'm talking about taking things that are secondary and making them first in our lives. Whether that be a hobby or a job or even a family member, or family relationships, or other human relationships. Whether that be recreation, whether that be the accumulating of stuff, whatever it is, when Christians chase after those things with a passion and a fervency and a desire, while their relationship with God, on the other hand, their involvement in the kingdom of God, on the other hand, is lucky to get even just a couple of hours on Sunday and Wednesday, just how seriously then are we taking the truths of 2 Peter chapter 3. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, it just seems like our hearts are not with God. Sometimes it just seems like our hearts are in this world. As all of our thoughts and all of our energies and all of our resources are just consumed with making life here on earth, just making it great and making it grand. But what the Bible is telling us is that here... Here won't be here for very much longer. What sense then does it make for us to be so heavily invested in the here? Peter says this world's going to be destroyed. Nothing. It will be obliterated. Should that truth not affect the daily decisions that I make as I use this life in preparation for the next life? Do we honestly imagine... That on Judgment Day, somebody's going to stand up on Judgment Day and they're going to impress the Lord by saying, Oh Lord, look, I've got three Super Bowl rings. Well, I trained so diligently all those years to be a big pro football player. 
And I excelled mightily at my sport, invested so much of my time and my heart and my passion into that. Look at me, I'm a three-time champion, Lord. And God's just going to fall all over himself. Wow, I'm amazed. Do we think anybody on the Day of Judgment is going to hold up an Academy Award and say, Look, Lord, look what I won. I'm an Oscar winner. Aren't I something? Do we think somebody's going to stand up on Judgment Day and say, Look, God, look at the immaculate home that we live in. Look at the seven, eight, nine, ten-figure bank account that we possess. Look at the thousands upon millions of followers that I have on Instagram. All of those accomplishments that our world sees as being really, really important, they're not going to be worth squat come Judgment Day. And can I maybe kind of bring that down a little closer to home for us? That promotion that you're pushing so hard for at work, that scholarship, young people, that you're pursuing at school or maybe in your athletic career, that vacation that you've been planning and planning for months on end, it isn't nearly as important as verse 11 as cultivating holy and godly lives. Because when judgment day comes, all of that other stuff, it's going to what? Verse 12, it's going to be laid bare. That's the terminology Peter's using here. It's going to be exposed and it will be exposed as being of lesser importance. Which is why you and I must come to understand. And listen to me. We don't want to understand this on Judgment Day. We want to come to understand this right now. What it is that really matters in the grand scheme of things. Because if we only come to that understanding on Judgment Day, then by then it will be too late. It will be too late to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And so yes, we will see some things on that great day. We will understand better some things on that final day. But then thirdly, we will hear some things on that day. Specifically, what we will hear is we will hear our eternal fate pronounced. Can you go back to that passage that we read a little bit from earlier in Matthew 25? I skipped over some verses in the middle. I'd like to go grab those now. In Matthew chapter 25... As Jesus describes here the separation of the sheep and the goats. And he talks here about the words that will be spoken to each of those groups. What is it that the king, the judge, what's Jesus going to say to these people? In Matthew 25, let's read a little bit of that in verse 34. In verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, come you who are blessed by my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then what about the others? Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and for his angels. What is that like? What is that like to stand before Jesus Christ and to hear the words that will very much determine whether you are a success or whether you are a failure. To hear the final decision be rendered as to where you will spend all of eternity forever and ever without end. What is that like? I believe the Bible wants us. In fact, I believe the Bible longs for us to imagine what it will be like to be in that scene. 
I believe the Bible wants us to contemplate hearing that pronouncement. I believe the reason that we're given such descriptive passages like here in Matthew 25 or the one we started with in Revelation chapter 20 is so that we would place ourselves in that scene and that we would think about, maybe again, just using our imaginations, what it will be like to be in that enormous assembly. And then one by one by one to hear the judge render the verdict of eternal life or eternal punishment. Is that something you think about? Do you think about that very often? Imagine if this afternoon the sky peeled back and those angels came pouring out and Jesus began to descend from the clouds and a single trumpet blast from the archangel then caused all of the nations to be gathered together. All the billions upon billions of people who have ever lived upon the face of this earth, they are all now standing there before that great white throne. And it's not just, we have a very American way of thinking about this, it's not just us 21st century Americans that are standing there. No, it's people from all over the world. There's Africans there. There's Australians there. There's Russians there. There are Iraqis there. And it's not just even from our lifetime. We'll see 12th century monarchs there. We'll see 1st century slaves there. We'll see 20th century entrepreneurs there. And everybody in between, we are all there gathered before the throne of the Lord. And furthermore, we all know why we're there. There's no doubts about this. There's no questions about what's going on. What we seem to be is we all seem to be kind of in a line. This is the way I picture it. We seem to be in a line that is slowly but surely inching its way forward. And as I get closer and closer, I'm able to see in clearer view Jesus. I see Him seated there on His throne. And as I slowly get closer and closer, I can begin to see. I can see some of those books that Revelation 20 talked about. Those books that are opened up. And they are used as being some of the standard of judgment. And as the line moves forward, slowly but surely, I can even begin to make out the appearance of specific people standing before Jesus. They're having their one-on-one moment with the Lord, and I can start to make some things out. And so I see. I see an older brother. I see an older brother that I remember from church. Here's this brother who was so faithful in his lifetime. He was always at services. You can count on him to be in that second row. And he would be there and he would sing out with the booming bass voice when we sang, Our God, He is alive. And I just love hearing him talk about the Scriptures in Bible class as he made comments. It's clear he had reverence for God and for His Word and he loved the Lord. And as he stood there, I saw the book. The book of life. It was opened up. And then I heard it. I heard the words. I heard Jesus say, Your name is written here. Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. And all of a sudden in that moment, thousands upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands began cheering and exclaiming. There was rejoicing and singing on the part of the angels. That brother began jumping up for joy, tears streaming down his face as he was invited to come and to make his entrance through the gates. And he did. And then the line moved forward. I then saw a sister from church who I hadn't seen in quite a while. She hadn't been at services in a long time. 
But now it was her turn. And she was really, really wanting to not be standing there by herself. What she was wanting is she was wanting her church family to be standing there with her. But an angel was there to explain to her, Ma'am, judgment is not a collective thing. It's an individual matter. And what became quickly apparent was that she had not been very faithful to the Lord herself. She merely had been around other faithful people. She was not ready. And so excruciatingly I heard those words come from Jesus' mouth when He said, Depart from Me. I do not know you. And she was sentenced to eternal punishment. And the line moved forward. I then saw a professor that I had in college. This professor was always pressing his atheistic views, his evolutionary ideas. He looked down on people of faith. He looked down on Christians as being so simple-minded and so stupid. And I used to always think to myself, you know what, I'm going to tell that guy come judgment day. When I see him on judgment day, I'm going to come point the finger in his face and say, looky now, buddy. <laughs> you were wrong, weren't you? Now you know. But you know what? I can't say those things. I could not say those things to him. He was trembling from head to toe. He was shaking in fear. He was terrified because he knew that his name was not written in that book. And then I heard Jesus say, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. And with that, he was gone. And the line moved forward. I saw an Old Testament hero of faith stand before the Lord. I saw a New Testament Christian who was martyred for the cause of Christ. I saw a young person who had only just in the last couple of months put Christ on in baptism. They all stood before the Lord and they all were invited to come in and to live with the Lord. I saw an old friend that I used to go to church with when I was a kid. We went to Bible class together. We sat on the same pew together during worship. We would play together after services were over, but, but we moved away when I was young. And so I always wondered, did, did he ever become a Christian? Did he ever obey the gospel? I got my answer on Judgment Day. I saw him on his knees begging Jesus, pleading with Jesus to please give him one more chance. Jesus, could you just check the book one more time? I'm sure that my name is written in there. And Jesus told him, no. I never knew you. And the line moved forward. I saw a sister trembling and shaking with fear as she made her way to the front. She was weeping and she was sorrowful. And Jesus looked at her and He said, Why are you crying? And she said, Because I've done so many bad things, Lord. I'm a sinner. I am so full of sin." And I heard Jesus tell her, Not so, my child. You've been washed clean. You've been forgiven. You come and you inherit the kingdom that's been prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Her tears of sorrow in the snap of a finger, they vanished away and she entered into eternal life. And the line moved forward. I saw some surprising things on that day. There were people that I never would have guessed being invited into heaven. People that in my mind, I had used a standard of judgment that was not true, that was not correct, but the Lord invited them in. They were able to serve the Lord in their area and in their way that they could, and God saw their fruits. And I was surprised as well at people that I just thought for sure were going to go to heaven, and they were sent in the other direction. 
People who look like fine church-going folks, they carried their Bible around in the upright and pious position all the time. On social media, they presented themselves as being very, very righteous. But on Judgment Day, their hypocrisy was exposed. And the line moved forward. And then, then it was my turn. I was standing before the Lord. And it was now my turn to hear my fate pronounced from the lips of Jesus. What would Jesus say? What would Jesus say when the line moves forward and you are then standing at the bar? You are right in front of the great white throne. I don't know if the way that I've painted this, if that's the way it's going to go. Again, that's my imagination. But here at this last and final event, the event that we all will attend, no one's going to be left out, where you will be adjudicated, your whole life will be adjudicated as either an absolute success or the most colossal failure of all, what will Jesus say? What will you hear on Judgment Day? Is it possible that in that moment, on that day when it comes, whenever it may be, is it possible that you might have kind of a fleeting memory of a Sunday morning in late July when the preacher, I don't even remember what his name was, I don't even remember what the title of the sermon was, but I remember the preacher preached some things about Judgment Day, about what we'll see, what we'll understand, and what we'll hear. And when the invitation song was sung that day, I knew I needed to act. I knew I needed to come forward and confess my faith in Jesus and I needed to be baptized for the remission of my sins. But I didn't do it. And now that thought has crept into your consciousness and there you are, standing before Jesus. Is it possible as well, brother or sister, that maybe you'll stand on that day and you'll have the passing thought of a sermon that was preached by a preacher, again, I don't remember his name, Remember he had kind of bright colored hair and bright colored shirt and tie. Talked about how this was his last Sunday morning sermon. But the main thing was, I remembered he talked about Judgment Day. And I knew I needed to repent of some things. I knew there was some stuff in my life that needed to change. And I felt the urgency of that. I knew I should have did something about that. But the invitation song was sung and I did not budge. I didn't move. And I allowed my heart to harden. What will you hear on that great and final day? The truth is, all of us are going to be there. All of us will be judged on that day. But here's the frightening thing. Not all of us will have our name written in that Lamb's book of life. But you can change that today. The sun is shining. We still have time. The clock is ticking. We are alive. There is breath in our body which means we have time and opportunity right now to change course. If you need to obey the gospel this morning, if you need to repent of some sin and to serve the Lord in a better way, brother or sister, this is the time to either get your name in the book or to be sure that your name is in that book. By the grace of God, we have the opportunity today to be ready for Judgment Day. Do you want to get ready? Can we help you to get ready? Would you do something about that by coming to the front right now while we stand and while we sing?